You're listening to a podcast from the University of Manchester. Hello and welcome to The Buzz. In this episode, we're talking all about the possibilities of 3D printing. We'll be talking to Dr. Marco Domingos, Senior Lecturer in Bioprinting and Regenerative Medicine here at the University of Manchester. But before that, I've prepared a quick quiz for Corey. Um, It's a true or false quiz all about uh, 3D printing. Does that sound good to you? It sounds very good. I can't remember my last score. It's been a while, so I It has been a while. Um, But we'll we'll assume you didn't do too well, and then you've got the opportunity to improve on this one. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so I'm just going to say a few... Well, should we say facts, and then you tell me if they're they're true or false? Okay, we'll do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, number one, three D printing is older than the internet. Um, I'm gonna say that's true. Yes. True. Yeah. You are correct. Thank you. Um, yeah. So the internet was created in 1989, and three D printing dates back much earlier than that. Uh, with I think there was a lot of stuff going on in the, in the 80s as well. Um. So number two, 3D printing was once used to recreate the skeleton of a woolly mammoth. True or false? Uh, I don't see why not. It can do a lot (laughs) of stuff, can't it? Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's go true. True again? Yeah. You are right again. Yep. Um, Apparently it was created for the City Museum of Lear in Belgium. Oh, very nice. Uh, Number three. So 3D printing has been used to make Iron Man's suit. Uh, I don't know if you have any more information than that, Joe, so feel free to ignore this question. <laughs> are we talking about the actual Iron Man suit used in the film, or are we just talking about a random Iron Man suit? In in, in films. In films. Um, uh, yeah, again, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? And you are correct again. <laughs> yes. You're on a hot streak. Um, yeah, so apparently uh, 3D printed suits were used in Iron Man 2 and the Avengers. Oh, very cool. Okay, number four. Yeah. So the three Ds in 3D printing stand for dimensions, design, and development. No, right. Surely it's just 3D because it's three-dimensional. Does it stand for something? Well, that's the question. But I don't know if it's one of those silly backronyms where they've gone 3D printing, a good name, good name. Oh, let's be really clever. Make the Ds stand for something. Or if that's something you would do to trick me. I'm going to go with ink faults. It's just 3D printing, like three-dimensional. You are correct yes. again. I just completely made that up. <laughs> what were they again? Um, dimensions, design, and development. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not yeah, bad. so they, they kind of kind of make sense in a way. Yeah. Um, okay, number five. So in 2021, the Erste Divisie Trophy in the Dutch Football yeah, Leagues yeah was 3D printed after the original trophy went missing. I want that to be true, because that's cool. Um, that's cool. Uh, I'm going to go yes. You're going true? Yeah. The streak has come to an no. end. No, I just completely made that oh, one Oh, that was such a good <laughs> one. Oh, Eric Ten Hag lifting that little trophy. <laughs> so it wasn't stolen at all. That's all, all faults. 
Yeah, it's all false. Oh, completely no. made it up. Oh. But I need, I need, I wanted to get a football one in there, yeah. so I, I, uh, I came up with that. Oh. So. Okay, well, finally I've tripped you up. Oh, that's so annoying. Okay, number six. 3D printing has been used to produce prototypes to rebuild part of a coral reef. Uh, I've given up on this quiz now. <laughs> I've lost the streak. <laughs> you no. still doing well. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, I'm going to go that is true. That is true. Yes. You're back on track. I'm back on track. Um, yeah. University of Hong Kong researchers have used that in a, to, in a, in a marine park. That's cool. That is cool. Yeah. Um, so number seven, this is your penultimate question. Um, so over 2.2 million 3D printers were sold in 2021. Worldwide? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Easy. <laughs> Easy. Yeah, you are correct. Yes. <laughs> that was so confident. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, final question. The 3D wrestling move in WWE... Yeah, I know this already, boy. ...is, is a tribute to David Dudley, an early pioneer of oh. 3D printing technology. Right. Mm, I'd, be, mm, I'd be very surprised. So I'm just going to show how... Near day, I'm with wrestling. <laughs> so, um, it's a move by the Dudley Boys. They were a wrestling tag team originally Correct. in ECW. Correct. And yeah. I, I can't imagine what I know. I might get some flack for this. What I know of ECW and and the Dudley Boys, they weren't. <sighs> You're not getting any bo- bonus points. <laughs> no, no. But they weren't like the most um, highbrow of tag teams, right? Yeah, but what if? Their relative happened to be. Mm, no. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to go. I'm going to look so bad if this is. <laughs> I'm going to go. That is false. False, you're saying? Yeah. I can't believe you got that right. Oh, phew. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, I completely made that up again. Uh, 3D wrestling move apparently stands for the Dudley Death, Death Drop. Drop. Yeah, yep. I, I knew that as well. So uh. why didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, so you actually did really well. There. Oh. You got seven out of eight. I'm sure. Oh, stupid Eredivisie yeah. title one. That was such a good made-up fact. Yeah, yeah, I was quite, I was quite proud of that one. Yeah, you should be. Okay, so someone who knows even more than Corey about 3D printing is Marco, and here's our interview with him. Can you give us a, a brief overview of what 3D printing actually is and how it works? Yeah, sure. So uh, 3D printing is also known as uh, additive manufacturing, and uh, it refers to a group of technologies that are used to create three-dimensional objects in a layer-by-layer fashion, and normally starting from a computer-created design. The process normally starts with the creation of this digital design using uh, computer design software, uh, like, for example, Fusion 360 or SolidWorks, um, this model is then tessellated into an STL file, uh, which is the abbreviation for serolithography, uh, and I'll probably come to that a bit later <laughs> on, um, that basically describes only the surface geometry. Uh, so it doesn't contain any information about the color or the texture of your object. Um, the object is then sliced into multiple layers, and each layer will contain a set of uh, computer-controlled instructions that are then sent to uh, the 3D printer in the format of a cheat code that will allow then the 3D printer to actually physically reproduce that object layer by layer. Um, so this is the kind of the general uh, working principle that is common to all of editing manufacturing technologies. Um, 
But then they vary in terms of the way that they shape the, the materials into 3D objects. And this allows then to divide them into different categories. Um, and probably the four most important ones are, for example, extrusion-based that we know as fused deposition modeling uh, that uses melted materials uh, that is extruded through a nozzle uh, in the form of a filament to form an object. We also have these VAT photopolymerization systems that use lights to cure photosensitive materials. And uh, another important uh, technology is this powder bed fusion known as uh, laser sintering or laser melting, where high power systems or lasers are used to uh, sinter or melt uh, powder particles together to build these three-dimensional objects. And probably uh, uh, another really important one that is used in our industries is also binder jetting. And in this case, different from the other systems, we use a kind of a glue, a binder, to uh, join these particles together and form a three-dimensional object. So this, like in a nutshell, uh, is how 3D printing works and the different technologies that we have available. Um, I guess it seems like 3D printing is a new thing. Is that is that correct? Or have we had 3D printing for a while? Yeah, I think that's that's a very good question. I think we all have this idea that 3D printing is a, is a new technology, and actually, it's uh, it's not. Um, um, it's it's been it's been around for uh, almost a century, really. Uh, wow. I think that probably the general concept of 3D printing was uh, first described by um, Mario Leinster in his 19, uh, 1945 uh, short story uh, called uh, Things Pass By. And it's funny because in this, in this short story, he described this robotic arm that would extrude 3D printed uh, filaments like plastics uh, to form three-dimensional objects layer by layer. And if you think about it, it's not really different from what we have nowadays in terms of fused deposition modeling. Um, however, the, the first real prototype was only created in 1981 by the Japanese inventor, uh, Ideo Kodama, a system that he described as a rapid prototyping device. And, um, and he used basically a laser beam, uh, a light laser beam, to uh, cure photosensitive materials and build three-dimensional objects. Um, unfortunately, uh, he decided to abandon this idea just a year after, uh, and, and actually this never uh, became a commercial device or a physical device, really. Um, fortunately, uh, later in 1986, Charles Hull, uh, who is now considered the father of 3D printing, decided to pick up this idea and uh, to uh, file a patent describing more or less the same system where three-dimensional objects can be built layer by layer by photocuring a uh, liquid resin using, uh, for example, ultraviolet uh, light. But what was really um, interesting is that it was not only proposing a completely new system, it was also proposing this revolutionary STL file format that uh, we've talked before and is the uh, abbreviation for stereolithography. And also, he proposed this digital uh, slicing process that allows us to slice the objects into multiple layers and then reproduce them physically with the 3D printing. And these, these two concepts remain crucial in nowadays uh, 3D printing. And uh, with this idea, then took it forward and he created his own company uh, called uh, 3D Systems that is still around nowadays and probably the biggest company that we have in the, in the market. And he released the first 3D printer that he called um, uh, SLA-1. Uh, uh, I think in that same decade, uh, we had uh, several other patents of technology that were filed, like, for example, um, Selective Laser Sinter uh, that was created by Carl Decker uh, in America in 1988, or Fuse Opposition Modeling that was um, filed as well by uh, Scott Crump in 1989. I think during the 90s, and uh, probably up to 2006, 
uh, all these technologies were basically used to create prototypes. Not really functional parts, but just prototypes that uh, people and companies would use, uh, for example, uh, to test the functionality of their products um, or to, for example, evaluate the risk of failure uh, during, um, during operation. Um, but everything changed in 2006 with uh, the first commercially available selective laser sintering uh, system that uh, actually allowed uh, companies to create on-demanding manufacturing functional uh, parts. Um, this was the Formiga uh, system, and it was commercialized by the German company uh, EOS. And I think at the same time, uh, quite a lot of computer design tools also became available, allowing, for example, people to use their own computers to create their own three-dimensional models. So this was really uh, all happening at the same time, and it kind of created a, a perfect storm for 3D printing to really take off and become one of the most important uh, group of technologies that uh, you know drove uh, and continue to drive growth across multiple industries like aerospace, automotive, and, and, and medical. Um, I think the other important um, step change in terms of 3D printing was um, made in 2005 when they, um, Dr. Adrian Bauer created the concept of RepRap, which I'm sure you probably uh, came across um, uh, somehow. This was basically an open source um, initiative to create a 3D printer that would basically allow you to print parts to create another 3D printer, but also to create other objects. And um, this open source changed the game for 3D printing, uh, making the technology um, completely accessible virtually to anyone with a computer. Um, obviously, um, you know, nowadays 3D printers, not just this desktop low cost, but also the high end um, are used by all sorts of industries um, for the, you know, the fabrication of virtually anything from automotive parts um, to houses to surgical models and even uh, food. Um, I guess, you know, if we look at the future, um, there are probably really no boundaries for what 3D printing uh, may be able to, to do. Um, and I'm quite confident that we'll continue to see a lot of uh, re revolutionary technologies reaching the market, like, for example, um, Technologies like additive manufacturing, they use uh, sound waves um, or acoustic waves to uh, model and to shape materials, but also uh, technologies that use uh, tomographic projections to create entire objects in a matter of seconds, as opposed to this traditional layer-by-layer -layer process. And this is going to be a completely and radical, uh, different approach to 3D printing. And obviously, we can only speculate what's going to happen in the future, but I'm sure that we're going to have no doubt, very exciting uh, developments in the new, in the next five to ten years. Wow! It sounds like the technology's evolved massively over the years. Um, what are any examples of some of the most interesting or innovative applications of it that you've seen or you've you've been a part of? Yeah, um, so I think I've been working in three D printing for the last fourteen years, and I think I've been quite lucky. Um, to have been part of a lot of uh, innovative projects in uh, across different areas of, of research. But probably my, my top three are related with the application of 3D printing in uh, food, uh, medicine, and um, probably more recently in terms of space research.
Um, for example, when you think about food, and uh, right now it takes roughly about two years and um, you know a huge amount of natural resources to um, turn an animal like a cow or a pig into a steak. Um, and, and not to mention, obviously, the huge detrimental impact it has in our environment. Well, some research groups and, techno- and, and companies, like, for example, the Israeli company, um, stakeholder food, are doing to overcome these hurdles is um, to create meat in the lab. It's not a completely new concept. Some other companies have been doing that. Um, and basically, it, it, it all um, evolves around the fact that we can harvest stem cells from these animals. We can grow them in the lab. And we can differentiate them or drive them to become cells that put fats and uh, muscle. What is really exciting and is innovative is when we combine these cells with 3D printing um, to create steaks and obviously other cuts that um, you know, contain a variety of muscle and fats layers um, uh, you know, with any desired uh, marbling uh, ratio, uh, even shape or size. And, this, this is really exciting because, you know, you can create artificial meat in the lab that not only tastes like real meat, um, but also have the same texture and shape, which obviously make it much more appealing for uh, the consumer. Um, I think in terms, of, in terms of medicine, and that's probably more close to what I do, and I think 3D printing really has the potential to completely revolutionize, um, you know, um, the way that we provide um, healthcare to our society. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the development of prosthetic devices, because this is something that we already do on a regular basis. Um, what I think 3D printing will do to revol- revolutionize medicine is by providing us with the ability to create fully functional tissues and organs that we can use for transplantation in humans and, you know, in a way overcoming the problem that we have in terms of shortage of, of donors. Uh, for example, through the combination of uh, stem cells, again, with biomaterials, um, not just our group, but also others across across the world, and are able to create these biological uh, formulations that we call bioinks that kind of replace the traditional metals and polymers and plastics that we use in 3D printing, and that can be shaped into these three-dimensional artificial tissues by editing, uh, edit manufacturing in a process that we don't call 3D printing, but we call it 3D bioprinting. Um, and using this new approach, we can now replicate the structural and functional um, uh, gradients that are typically present in the native tissues. Uh, like, for example, when you think about the articular joints, uh, the osteochondral region, where you've got bone and cartilage, we can now replicate that using 3D printing and these biomaterials in these different cells. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that is possible because 3D printing allows us to uh, control the spatial deposition of multiple uh, materials, multiple cells, like, for example, uh, having a layer of cartilage, a layer of, of, of bone. And we can control this tunable uh, or we can tune these physical chemical properties of these bioinks. Um, and we can then form these three-dimensional constructs from the bottom up. Uh, in a way, very much biomimetic of what happens in terms of human um, development. Obviously, these, these, some of these tissues are already used um, in, uh, in tissue engineering and regenerative medicine as implants, very few still. Um, but where they are really important in terms of application is as models that we use to study, for example, organogenesis, or that we use to model different types of disease, 
like cancer, dementia, and we'll talk about that probably uh, later on. Um, but also they can use, and this, this is a very important area for these, for these models, they can be used to very quickly and in a high throughput manner to uh, test the efficacy and the safety of um, uh, drugs. Um, eventually, these, these models, as the technology evolves, as the materials evolve, um, they will allow us to reduce our dependency on animal models that are not physiologically relevant to human conditions and obviously also have quite a lot of ethical issues in terms of their application and um, hopefully help us to develop more efficient and more cost-effective uh, therapies. So what would you say is your favorite thing to do in Manchester? Wow, uh, that's, uh, that's a really difficult one. Um, I love to, to run along the canal. Um, during COVID, I started to run. I've um, I've um, I've stopped smoking, and I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start running. Mm. And it's it's absolutely uh, um, beautiful to run along our canals, and uh, that's probably the thing that I like to do most in uh, in Manchester. That's really good. Um, who is your favourite Manchester-related person? So they don't have to be from Manchester, but they are connected to the city in some way. Well, uh, being on, on, you know, working on 3D printing, um, I think that probably Alan Turing is uh, one of the most um, iconic, um, you know, uh, persons for me. Um, because obviously, uh, 3D printing being a computer control technology, I'm quite certain that 3D printing would not exist today if it wasn't also for his contribution. And and it was a, an innovator at its time, and he had a tremendous impact in, in, in a lot of the technology that we have nowadays. Great answer. Um, do you have a favorite Manchester building? Oh, I, I love the building where we are. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, this, this John Owens building is absolutely beautiful. Uh, I wish we had more buildings across the university <laughs> like this one. Absolutely beautiful, yes. <laughs> Great. Um, and um, do you have a favorite place to eat in Manchester? Well, I think one of the advantages of living in Manchester is that you have so much choice. Um, I don't know if I have a a, a favorite place to eat. Um, Where are you I, from, Marco? I am from Portugal. Oh, nice. uh, is there well, a good Portuguese food restaurant in Manchester? Do you want an honest answer? <laughs> 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 I think you can find a bit of um, a Portuguese uh, cuisine. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's probably sure. the best not quite the same <laughs> not quite the same but um yeah i mean you, you can you can find some cassette tarts that are uh, quite good um but uh, I, I do like for example i quite enjoy going to um to the to the um, do you know the, the the pub next to to the oyster um next to the cathedral sinclair's oyster bar no, yeah next. and next to it there is another yeah. uh, pub that is really really good Pub food, a very old pub. Yes, the old Wellington. That's, That's probably the place yeah, that yeah, yeah. that I I would probably choose. It was the first place I went. Uh, for a meal when I moved to Manchester. So that's really close to my heart. I still go there quite often. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of those those buildings there. Yeah. Um, this one a little bit tricky, but can you describe Manchester in three words? Yeah, um, resilience, innovation, and um, I think, I don't know if it's really a word, but um, I think people in Manchester, we are, well, not just the Mancunians, but everyone in Manchester, they are dreamers. And that's how the world 
um, changes and innovates, and it's also thanks to these streams. And I think people in Manchester have all these three qualities. Um, I think that the last, the third and last uh, exciting uh, application of 3D printing, which is something that we've been working more recently, is in terms of space uh, exploration. And I'm, I'm not just talking about printing parts of rockets or rockets uh, or even tools, because uh, that has been done uh, uh, before and will surely be very important when we start building uh, human settlements on, on the moon and on Mars. But what I think it's going to be really, really exciting to see is the application of 3D printing in medicine in uh, space. <clears throat> so the European Space Agency has recently uh, launched a program to build this 3D bioprinting facility on board of the International Space Station. And really the ambition is to support human exploration of uh, deep space missions. Um, I think the obvious question is why, why is this relevant, right? Um, and uh, as I'm sure you can easily understand, uh, in, in great part, the success of these missions depend on the health of the crew. And this is often affected uh, by um, different space stresses, like space radiation or, um, or by microgravity. And unfortunately, we don't know a lot about the impact or the effect of these factors um, on the health of the crew, and we cannot study them more using animal models because they're not really physiological relevant or representative of human conditions. And we, can also, we can't also do that using um, humans. So at the Royce and in collaboration with, um, with other members of the European Space Station, see, we are exploring the use of 3D bioprinting to create uh, tissue analogs um, of, of different human tissues um, and to study, for example, the, the effect of space radiation on skin, but also um, the, the effects of low gravity on the loss of bone density that often result, for example, in, uh, in, uh, in fractures. And hopefully with this information, we can develop uh, then better therapies that will help us prevent this disease, but also to treat them in the case that they actually happen. Um, I think the long-term uh, vision in terms of the application of bioprinting in, 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 in space is that you know, when we, when we have, hopefully, these human settlements, probably not in my, in my, in my lifetime, um, we're going to be able to create these tissues and organs also for transplantation, as we're doing on Earth. Um, when, for example, um, the return to Earth is almost impossible because of, because of the visit. So really three exciting areas. There, there are many more, but I think this is, these are probably the ones that I'm more passionate about at the moment, really. Um, you you mentioned how the space exploration uh, applications may be, uh, I guess, decades away potentially. Um, is that the same for the the kind of meat uh, lab grown meat and the kind of human transportation stuff, or is that more realistically going to be happening in the next five, ten, fifteen years? And if not, what are the challenges for that for that uh, technology to be ready? I think that's a very good question. I think in terms of um, you know. Um, Printing meats, um, that is something that is already happening. Um, there are bioprinted products already reaching the market, so I, I don't think it will take uh, much longer to become more widely available. And for is us to the go, issue the, the price of the... I the think there will meat. be an issue of the price as with any uh, related bioprinted product. Uh, these are not actually really cheap uh, products, and that's not just the case of food. Uh, that's also the case of uh, bioprinted uh, medical devices. 
And that's, that's, a, that's an issue that we need to, to be able to address, to make it more widely available for everyone and to try to minimize the disparity between access to these technologies and to these products between rich and poor people. Um, I think in terms of transplantation, uh, there are already some examples of bioprinted products that are being transplanted into humans. Uh, we will probably see more with simple tissues like, you know, bone, skin, um, and potentially very simple organs. Um, I think that the, the ambition of creating full uh, organs, really complex organs like heart, kidney, liver, that will take longer. Uh, I think we need to do quite a lot of work to first understand all of the complex mechanisms underpinning the development of these of these tissues. Um, but I think that will happen. Um, I don't really want to put like a time frame for that because I think we've made that in the past and a lot of us working in this area have made that in the past. We've created this big illusion that, um, you know, by the end of 2010, we would all be able to go to the, to the hospital and, you mm. know, get some spare parts. <laughs> sure. um, and I, I don't think that, uh, that we need that. I don't think that it's realistic, but I think it will happen definitely in the future. We've, we've been doing quite a lot of progress in terms of, for example, stem cell technologies, biomaterials, and 3D printing. We'll need more of that, uh, of course, but that is something that's going to happen in the future. In terms of space exploration, um, I think space exploration is, um, is something that, in terms of using bioprinting in space, that will take a long time, of course. Um, but I think that the use of bioprinting in space can also be quite beneficial for what we do on Earth. Mm. Um, a, lot of, a lot of disease and uh, a lot of the, of the, of the symptoms um, that are related with the onset of different diseases that we have on Earth can be accelerated and investigated um, under microgravity conditions. So we can actually use the, the space as an environment to study the disease that we have on Earth and try to develop better therapies to treat people on Earth. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to take time until uh, we have bioprinting applied to human settlements in space, but I think we can take advantage uh, already now using, for example, the International Space Station and other stations that will come up um, to actually develop therapies for application in humans on Earth. Sounds like the possibilities are, are almost endless. Um, when and you talked about the, the, the benefits on Earth there. Um, what are the, any more of the kind of current or potential environmental benefits of 3D printing? Yeah, um, so <laughs> I think when we talk about um, the environmental um, benefits of, of 3D bioprinting, I think they are actually quite, um, well, I, I would not say obvious, but really, really important, especially when compared to, for example, um, traditional manufacturing processes that um, are, you know, subtractive and remove uh, remove materials. 3D bioprinting or 3D printing um, actually, um, because it's a it's a layer by layer process uh, and it's basically works on the additional material one on top of the other, substantially reduces the the amount of of wastes of wastes material. Um, and obviously, this has a, 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 a tremendous impact in terms, in terms of the environment. Um, in addition to that, and in some processes, like, for example, uh, laser sensor or binder jetting, some of the powder materials that are now used to build the parts, they can be recycled and reused. So again, we're using less material and creating less, um, less impact on the environment. Also, there are, I think, some, some studies um, that have been published recently 
that show, for example, that when compared to traditional manufacturing uh, systems, 3D printing allows for uh, something like between 40 and 60 percent of energy savings. And that happens because basically you're removing um, the need to actually ship materials across the world. So you can actually manufacture on site. So that reduces substantially the cost of, of energy and obviously with um, important uh, benefits uh, for the environment. But this can then be extended if we consider, for example, other factors like fuel efficiency, um, when we use uh, lighter materials, for example, in airplanes or uh, uh, in space rockets. Um, I think the other um, great advantage that it's just now, uh, is, is just now starting to be explored is the use of recycled materials that got to the end of their life and that we can now recycle and use in 3D printing. Um, there is a very good example, for example, of a project that I came across recently that is led by the University of Vigo in Spain. And, and basically what they're doing is they're using plastic waste from the oceans that they collect and then they recycle and use in 3D printing for maritime applications. And this fits really well with the concepts of, uh, you know, circle economy. Um, and I think, you know, these are, for me, it's some of the most relevant uh, benefits of using 3D printing in, um, in terms of, you know, improving uh, our impacts or reducing the impacts of our manufacturing process in the, in the, in the environment. Um, so it seems <clears throat> like there is some, some still te te uh, technological hurdles to overcome with some of the applications you've been talking about for the future. Um, do you think there's any like social or kind of ethical concerns that may need to be addressed as well? I'm thinking, I guess, around, um, I don't know, people feel a bit weird, don't they, thinking about eating lab-grown meat, which to me I don't really get, but it's still people do feel a bit, I guess, weirded out by stuff they don't get. Um, and also I know that um, things like weaponry and other kind of dangerous um, applications of 3D printing could happen because it's it's becoming so accessible and so widely available. Um, I guess what what do you think are the responsibilities of people like yourself and other people working in 3D printing to make sure that one it's safe and also that the public can feel a bit more confident in the use of it? I, I think that's uh, that's a really re really good question, and we all have uh, a role to play in uh, in this. Not not just researchers and academics, but also the regulators. Um, I think there are there are several um, implications of, of 3D printing. Uh, probably the most obvious one is in terms of, of copyright issues. Um, as we were talking before, as 3D printing uh, becomes more popular and uh, accessible, you know, to the public in general, um, there is a greater possibility for um, anyone to create fake and counterfeit um, products. And, and this will be almost impossible to distinguish from the original ones. Um, and this is possible because uh, designs, and here we're not talking about, about products, uh, they can be easily obtained from an existing physical uh, product. For example, user laser scanning. I can scan an object, I can reverse engineer, I can create my digital file, and then I can manipulate it in any computer that I design software. And what well, I can do that, and I can just move it around the world as a digital file to be downloaded and printed by anyone using any material anywhere in the world. Um, so just, just as we send nowadays, uh, for example, a PDF file to be printed in 2D, um, I don't know, in Singapore, um, I can do the same with uh, an STL file uh, that I can easily send, be downloaded anywhere, 
and printed in, in 3D. So this really raises uh, problems around um, IP and, um, and this is something that is going to be really difficult to, to, uh, to, to fight. Um, then there are also uh, some economic issues and it's, it's undeniable that 3D printing um, has brought significant um, economical benefits through the creation of these specialized jobs, um, particularly in, in, in developed countries. But I'm not entirely sure the same will happen in third world countries or countries um, in development. Um, <clears throat> and the reason is because most of these countries, they rely on, um, you know, cheap manufacturing and, and, and very um, uh, unskilled uh, labor forces. So, um, as the technology, again, becomes more accessible to everyone, um, the role of the manufacturing is shifted from these countries to the users. So I don't actually need or, or I don't actually need to, to wait for, um, you know, um, an industry or a company in India or China to manufacture a product for me. I can easily do that at home. So basically, this removes these, these companies from uh, the supply chain. And obviously, this will be detrimental in terms of their uh, economy. And then, <clears throat> as you were saying, I think there will be uh, quite a lot of ethical issues as well, especially when we talk about the application of 3D printing in, in, in medicine. And probably the three most important ones are related with the access to the treatments, uh, the safety of those treatments, and um, another one is also related with uh, potentially how 3D printing can be used to enhance uh, human uh, performance. Um, the, as we were saying before, um, the costs nowadays of bioprinted tissues and therapies, they are quite high, but also they tend to be more and more personalized to the individual. Um, and obviously this uh, increases the risk of um, creating a bigger disparity in terms of healthcare access between uh, you know, poor and rich people. So we need to think about that very, very, um, very carefully. Um, in terms of the safety, um, we currently lack standardization in terms of how we make, test and evaluate our uh, bioprinted products. Uh, and this can put at risk the, the health of the patients. So we need to come up with better regulations that are designed for bioprinted products. And we need to make sure that we have standards for the fabrication. So basically, if I'm bioprinting a bone, here in Manchester, we need to do. We need to be able to do the same exactly using the, the exact same process in anywhere else in the world. Um, and then I, I think that the the risk of enhancement of human body uh, is the fact that uh, some people are worried that bioprinting can be used, for example, to print um, stronger bones or stronger muscles that can be implanted in the body, and for example, uh, to create stronger athletes, for example, and. Uh, so I, I think in general, we need to, um, um, you know, this, this, all these problems will require a, a joint effort, um, you know, from governmental agencies, from pharmaceutical companies, uh, professional bodies, researchers, academics, um, to ensure that these products, like you were saying before, can be um, safely used in humans and most of all for the right purpose. I know you mentioned about kind of increased accessibility of the technology. So is that kind of where we're at now in that we could potentially 3D print items at home? And if so, kind of what could be the, the I guess, the, the kind of everyday benefits of, of that? 
Yeah, I think, as we were saying before, I think everything started in 2005 with the creation of this uh, rap rum project. So nowadays you can easily buy a 3D printer for, you know, very low cost. So the technology became accessible to basically um, anyone and, and, and anywhere. And not just economically, um, and I think this will, this will, uh, the use of these, of these technologies will increase in the future um, as more and more people become educated in these technologies. And I think in here, or in this aspect, the universities and the school will play a very important role, uh, educating and training people on the use of these technologies. And if this happens, we'll surely see an increase in terms of the use of um, 3D printers at home. Um, in terms of the benefits, I, I, I don't know. I, I, what I'm certain about is that we'll completely change the landscape in terms of manufacturing. Um, because this means that any average person, you, me, um, you know, we used to acquire goods, but now we don't need to do that. I can just manufacture them at home. I can create tools, I can create prototypes, I can create end products. And that will reduce the costs that we normally have uh, nowadays with the traditional way that we acquire products. Um, but also it will reduce the time that I uh, need to wait to receive uh, a product. Although with, you know, nowadays with some companies that will take, uh, you know, less than a day. But I think this will be the, the, the main advantages. Uh, we can basically create anything at home that is customized to our own needs and at a cost that is much more affordable than our traditional uh, methods nowadays. Uh, I'm very, well, for about three quarters of the interview, I've been very excited about 3D printing and its applications, new bones. When I go to space, I'll be fine. Um, yeah, uh, but then you mentioned about loads of risks and challenges that 3D printing is facing. I guess, do you find yourself being more optimistic about the future of 3D printing or are you kind of more nervous? I am I am very excited, but I'm also very very cautious. Um, I think 3D printing op opens a completely new world in terms of manufacturing. It opens a completely um, completely new possibilities in terms of the way that we provide, for example, healthcare to our aging population. I think uh, there will be uh, you know undeniable benefits of using 3D printing in medicine. It will transform the way that um, therapies are available to the society, so they will be much more efficient, much more personalized, but also, if we are careful, much more accessible um, uh, worldwide. But obviously, there are also, there are also risks, uh, like with any other technology. Um, you know, we've talked about copyright issues, but the same happened, for example, uh, when, you know, in the music industry, when we move from CDs into, uh, you know, Spotify and, mm. and digital. So, but I think that overall, uh, the benefits of using 3D printing will certainly overcome all these, all these, all these drawbacks and limitations. So I have no doubt that the future will be uh, in 3D, and I have no doubts that uh, this will be extremely beneficial for um, the way that our society works. And hopefully, it will also be a much more uh, sustainable and equal uh, society. It seems like there's, there's clearly lots going on in the kind of the world of 3D printing. Is there anything kind of specific at the University of Manchester or that you, yourself is working on that you're excited about? Yeah, um, um, I think, you know, Manchester is is widely recognised as a leading institution in terms of advanced manufacturing. And it has been for many, many years. Um, and particularly in terms of 3D printing for a wide range of applications. 
Um, I'm obviously more comfortable about uh, talking about the application of 3D printing in medicine. Um, and here we've got great examples of work that is being developed across university. Um, for example, um, we have people working on the design of tissue models to study uh, human organogenesis. Our group is, is doing that. Um, but also, uh, we have great examples of people using these models to uh, tackle important challenges like, um, for example, cancer, uh, prostate, uh, breast cancer, but also vascular dementia. Uh, and these are great health challenges that we all face and are, are currently being addressed in Manchester using 3D printing. Um, we also have uh, examples of uh, the use of regenerative uh, of 3D printing in regenerative medicine, so to create uh, tissue implants that are capable of regenerating, for example, uh, cartilage to treat uh, osteoarthritis, um, or to regenerate skin. We've got a center of excellence in terms of chronic wounds, and we are working uh, with clinicians to develop better models to understand the development and the treatment of, of chronic wounds. Um, we have uh, already uh, a very large volume of work in terms of prosthetic devices that are customized, personalized uh, for patients. And um, as I'm sure you, you, you've all heard, a great example of application of 3D printing very recently during the combat to um, COVID-19, where the community all came together. And I'm not talking just about academics and technicians, but also students to print uh, PPE to uh, make it available to hospitals and other frontline uh, staff. So obviously that there are many more areas, like for example, the use of, 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 of metal printing to create parts for the automotive and, and aerospace industry. And uh, you know, uh, these are probably just a few examples of, um, of what's happening in terms of 3D printing in, in the University of Manchester. I'm sure there will be many other uh, pioneering works, uh, obviously um, not just in 3D printing, but also in other areas um, coming from Manchester in the, in the near future that will help continue to shape the world as we've done uh, for many years now um, and also hopefully uh, help building a more uh, sustainable society for everyone. A massive thank you to Marco there. If you would like to find out more from us, you can find us on Twitter at UOMSciEng and we are also on Facebook and Instagram. You can email us at fsemarketing at manchester.ac.uk. See you next time.